Well, it is, it is certainly a pleasure to be here uh, this morning, and you are the reason I am here, apart from that being incredibly obvious. Uh, you have a reputation, and uh, many of the people that have come through Frontier have mentioned the quality of students here at Montana Bible College. So they have told me, you have to come and meet these students, so please do not disappoint me. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm excited to get to know you and to have this chance to, to share with you. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul is, is giving his final remarks to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, I think three profound words that sum up not just 2 Timothy, but really Paul's heart for Timothy. He says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Uh, one of the roles of a mission organization is to help students like you fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. So we're going to look at missions today. We're going to talk about foreign missions in particular, and we're going to try to go through uh, many different passages in the book of Acts and build uh, an idea of how Luke demonstrates this idea of foreign missions and how it, how it, how it grows and evolves through the book of Acts. Uh, before we do that, I just want to give a little bit of background uh, Danny mentioned that we were in India for about 12 years. Uh, we've done things in kind of a non-traditional way. We were on the mission field about six months after we graduated from college. We didn't have any supporters. We didn't even have a mission organization. We just got on an airplane and went to India. Um, in spite of our <clears throat> overwhelming ignorance, uh, God's grace proved uh, uh, to be enough, and he got us connected with people in India, uh, Indian leaders uh, that we were able to work with for, for many years. Uh, I studied in India, and I got my, my master's of theology there, which itself was an incredible experience. And we ended up working in an organization called Bible-Believing Churches and Missions, which was an organization in which we were the only foreigners. And I, I love that. I love that opportunity that God gave us. Um, while we were there, we realized that we needed more of a connection with, with people here in the States. And... Uh, the natural fit for us was to join with Tent Makers Bible Mission. Uh, the director at the time, uh, he's still a director, he was the, the person who planted my home church. And so there was this personal connection. But uh, beyond that, I felt like this kinship with the, the, value and the values and the mission of Tent Makers. Now, uh, one of the questions that we often get asked is, is Tent Makers uh, only for Tent Makers? <laughs> Uh, we look in Acts chapter 18, and Paul talks about uh, working alongside of Aquila and Priscilla, making tents, because that was his vocation and his trade. Um, but the question, was Paul a tent maker, is actually more complicated than that, isn't it? So sometimes he was, and, and sometimes he wasn't. It depended on the needs of his ministry, and tent makers takes that same approach. Many of our missionaries are fully supported. Uh, many of our missionaries are bivocational. So we, we see, uh, ultimately, like Paul says to Timothy, uh, the goal is to fulfill your ministry. And we uh, have been blessed with missionaries at Tent Makers who are passionate about fulfilling their ministry, no matter what it takes. Sometimes it might take working. Sometimes it doesn't. It, it all hinges on the ministry itself. So Tent Makers was started more than 30 years ago, at a time when tent-making and bivocational missions was, was not really a trend in missions. So uh, 
I joke with uh, the leadership that we are a hipster organization. We were, we were doing these things before they were cool. And um, I think beyond us being innovative, I think it just boils down to the fact that we were just trying to be biblical. Because there's this connection, there's this relationship between our understanding of God's word and how we do missions. And in fact, there is uh, one Christian education scholar who has made this connection and said that, that our theology impacts our philosophy, our philosophy impacts our strategy, and our strategy impacts our methodology. I think this is particularly true when we look at missions. Our theology of missions influences our philosophy of missions, and our philosophy of missions really determines the strategies and the methodologies we use in ministry. So when you're sitting in doctrine class, I want you to, to, to remember this connection. Remember that, that the theology that you're using is not dead and lifeless. It is, it is incredibly important because it determines how you do ministry. And if you see poorly executed ministry, wrong strategies and methodologies, you can always trace it back to bad theology. So I want you to, to be careful and to study hard and to learn theology well because it will influence how you understand and how you do ministry. So uh, let's look in the book of Acts. And if you turn to Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at a theology of missions that we see developed through the book of Acts. Acts is one of my favorite books, uh, one of my 66 favorite books of the Bible. <laughs> And I love how Luke presents missions. It is an honest and a raw portrayal. And sometimes we approach the book of Acts like it is a story of heroes that we hold up on a pedestal. But if you pause for a moment, that's not exactly the case, is it? The book of Acts shows the, the, the failures and the hesitancy and the reluctancy of these timid apostles to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Luke kind of lays out his plan for the entire book. And it's a verse that you're probably familiar with. In Acts chapter 1, 8, I should have been turning there myself. In Acts chapter 1, 8, uh, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, into the ends of the earth. So we come into this, this verse uh, in the middle of the, this discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples. His disciples are, are trying to get some uh, understanding about future events, and Jesus stops them and says, no, listen, what is of more importance is that you will be my witnesses. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses ultimately to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven. So these are, these are the, the final, the last words that Jesus has to communicate to his disciples as he's on the earth. In Luke chapter 24, we read a similar account as uh, Luke talks about the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, I think it's verse 48, it says, you were witnesses to all of these things. And so in, in Luke 24, it's kind of looking back at what all the events that had transpired but Luke fills in uh, some, of the some more details in Acts chapter 1 as Jesus looks forward 
to how the gospel would go from Jerusalem and, and ultimately be taken to the ends of the earth. He also uh, makes this clear statement that it will happen in both Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. It is in connection with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is something that we see through the book of Acts, and sometimes in history we've called it the Acts of the Apostles, but a, a better description is, is that it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It is not a biography of the disciples. It is really showing them the movement of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through frail and feeble individuals. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have this, this statement at the beginning of Luke's uh, book that will eventually outline the entire uh, rest of the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 1.8, it says the gospel will, will be in Jerusalem, and then it will go to Judea and Samaria, which we see happening in Acts chapter 8. We'll get there in a moment. But the entire book of Luke, uh, the book of Acts, is uh, structured in this particular way, showing just like you drop a, a pebble into a pond, this ripple effect as the gospel goes in all directions, and as the gospel is taken from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But the problem was, Jesus made this statement. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he ascends into heaven. And the apostles and the disciples say, great, let's stay in Jerusalem. We see this reluctancy and this hesitancy for them to actually uh, to actually move beyond Jerusalem and take the gospel to especially the Gentiles. So there's this, this tension in the book of Acts between these Jewish traditions and, and the, the gospel for the Gentiles. And, and the early church had this, this struggle of, of what that meant, what it meant for, for the gospel to be, to be relevant and applicable and transforming, not just for this Jewish community, but for the world. And so there's this tension, uh, and, and many incredible things happen. Uh, Peter receives this vision. There's, there's uh, ways that God is, is nudging and, and, and moving them to this understanding that the gospel is not just for the Jews. The gospel is for the world. So um, in Acts chapter, chapter 8, if you want to turn there, This is following, in Acts chapter 7, uh, the, the stoning of Stephen. So uh, this, is, this is an important moment in, in the, the story of Acts. Uh, Stephen is stoned. Uh, immediately following this, there's this persecution breaks out in Jerusalem on believers. And we read what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, execution and there arose on that day a great persecution um, against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of what? Judea and Samaria. So it was, it was this reluctance and this hesitancy that, that made them stay in Jerusalem, but God allowed this persecution to come to them, which forced them to move from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. But look what happens when, when they do leave Jerusalem. Verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
So the gospel is taken from Jerusalem and it, and it goes to Judea and Samaria. Uh, and it's at this time that the church is, is realizing, is waking up to this idea that the gospel is not just for the Jews. The gospel is for the world, which they should have re realized back in Acts chapter 1, right? When Jesus said the gospel would be taken to the ends of the earth. The passage I want to focus on most this morning is in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we see the first planned and strategic effort to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So if you were going to outline Acts, you would see, okay, from Acts chapter 1 to 7, it talks about the gospel in Jerusalem. In Acts 8 to, to 12, it talks about the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And in Acts chapter 13 to the end of the book, we have the gospel being taken to the ends of the earth. But it begins, this is important, it begins at a local church. It begins as the leadership of this, this church uh, gathered together and set apart from this group of believers, Barnabas and Saul. So turn in Acts, to Acts chapter 13. I want to read the first three verses. And I want you to, to notice this list of characters that, that Luke introduces us to. Uh, see some of the features of, uh, unique features of this congregation. And uh, we'll make some uh, conclusions from this. Uh, as, we, as we discuss it, in relation to uh, our theology of foreign missions. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. This church at Antioch was, uh, was serious about the, the responsibility that they had as a local congregation for foreign missions. They understood the words that Jesus had said in Acts chapter 1, uh, had applied directly to them and their responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so as they're, as they're praying, as they're worshiping together, this, this group of people set apart two of their uh, important members and, and commissioned them for missions. Now look at the cast of characters we read about. Uh, it, is, it is interesting to think they are, they are very different. It's this very diverse group of people. They ha were likely different skin colors from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses. It was this, this unique group of individuals that had this common unity in their relationship with Christ. And, and that motivated them to, to fellowship and to worship together, but then also to engage in foreign missions. So we read again in, in the second verse about how this is connected with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Even going to the, uh, the Great Commission uh, and what, what he says in, in Luke chapter 24, and what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and here in Acts chapter 13, uh, missions cannot be separated or dissected from uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Missions is not something or should not be something that we do on our own effort uh, with our own strength. So again, we see, we see God at work as he calls Barnabas and Saul um, to this, uh, really this life of ministry that, that is ahead of them. Um, and an aside to that, uh, sometimes I know that, that in, your, in your zeal and passion, you want to go to the mission field tomorrow. And I understand, you know, that was me as I was sitting in your, in your chairs uh, at Bible college. I was, I was anxious to get to the mission field, and I realized that there was this urgency. Uh, but I want you to remember that there is 13 years between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 13. Uh, there, there is a, a gap of time that God had preparing Paul for a life of ministry. So take seriously the, the moments that God has given you now as you study God's word, as you, as you are, are working um, on these projects and papers and quizzes and exams. Take time and realize that this is part of God's plan to bring you to your Acts chapter 13. Um, so uh, we read about how these two men, Barnabas and Saul, are commissioned for ministry. Another aside, uh, most Christians will, will say that, uh, that uh, Paul changed his name from Saul to Paul when? In Acts chapter 9, right? With this, this uh, dramatic Damascus Road experience, uh, Paul changes his name from Saul to Paul. But uh, I know I'm, I'm a Bible instructor and not a mathematician, but I think that Acts chapter 13, 13 comes after 9, correct? So in Acts chapter 9, uh, we read about this transformation in the life of Paul. But in Acts chapter 13 is when we read about this transformation of Saul to Paul. Um, if you look at some of the verses in this uh, chapter, they, they go to Cyprus and they have this, this encounter uh, in, uh, on the island of Cyprus in Acts chapter Seven, it tells us uh, Barnabas and Saul. In Acts chapter nine, it says, "But Saul." Or in Acts chapter thirteen, verse nine. Sorry, in Acts chapter thirteen, verse nine, it says, "But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently." And then again in Acts chapter thirteen, verse thirteen, it says, "Now Paul and his companions, as they leave this island of Cyprus, uh, it says Paul and." His companion. So we see the transition from Saul to Paul happening right here in this passage. And sometimes we ask, okay, what's going on? Why, why does Saul at this point decide and uh, make this change of name from Saul to Paul? And I think ultimately it goes back to his ministry. Paul was and considered himself the missionary and the minister to the Gentiles. And so he takes this, this Hebrew name, Saul, and he says, I, I'm no longer going to be known as Saul. I'm going to go by the name Paul, this Greek and Roman name. And there was, there was this transition, not because of his conversion, but because of his emphasis on ministry and the people he was ministering to. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about this. He says, I become all things to all people that I might by, might by all means save some. He was willing to change even his own name. And, and what do we hold more dear than our own name, the name that our mothers gave us? 
Well, that wasn't important enough to Saul. He said, because of the ministry that God has called me to, I am going to be called Paul so that I might be more effective to the people that God has called me to. And so we see, we see this transition uh, in the life of Paul, but we also see the church having, uh, t- taking the responsibility of engaging in foreign missions. And the rest of the book of Acts is the story of how the gospel is going uh, to the ends of the earth. There's one more passage that I want to look at in the book of Acts to kind of uh, to wrap it all up and to kind of draw everything together. You know, we, we realize that, that the, our theology impacts our, our philosophy, our, our philosophy impacts our strategy, and our strategy, our methodology. But sometimes when we, when we look at a biblical passage and we, we understand maybe these different, different ideas about a particular topic, uh, it takes a while for us to get to uh, how it changes our, our strategy and our methodology. Uh, this last passage I want to talk about, uh, I want you to figure out where, where it is. I'm going to read these verses. There's these two verses, and I want you to, to try to place where in the book of Acts these two verses come. So scholars and theologians, uh, here is your quiz for this morning. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What chapter do you think this, this falls in the book of Acts? I hear rustling of pages like you guys are, are trying to figure it out. Let me read it again. It says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Yeah. Acts Acts chapter 28. Good. Now, which verses in Acts chapter 28? Yeah. Yeah, verses 28 and 30. Why, Why is that significant? Why am I bringing this up? Do you realize that these are the last verses in the book of Acts? These are the very last verses of the book of Acts. Now, does this sound like a conclusion? Does this sound like Luke is kind of wrapping things up and, and uh, having, does it have any sense of finality? It really doesn't, does it? It kind of, you, you get to the end of the book of Acts and there's this, this cliffhanger. We don't know what's happening. It's, it, it seems awkward and forced. And I've wondered why, why did Luke decide to end his gospel or his, his book of Acts in this particular way? And some would say that he was perhaps thinking of writing a, a third to make it a trilogy. And we know uh, that all good things come in trilogies, right? <laughs> but uh, as far as inspired scripture, this is the end of Luke's writing. And I think God in his infinite wisdom did it with a purpose. And I think the purpose is that the story itself is not finished yet. The story that, that began in the book of Luke with Jesus saying my gospel will go to the ends of the earth is not something that has completed yet. And in fact, you have your own chapter to write in this incredible story of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. I think the sense of 
there, there being no sense in finality in, in the book of Acts is uh, something that God wants to, to use in our lives to realize that, that we have a role, we have a, a responsibility in the story that, that, these, that these apostles began. So as you look at the book of Acts, as we, as we use this to, to mature and develop our understanding of missions, I want you to realize that Jesus has given us this commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want you to realize that our, our natural human tendency is to be reluctant and to be hesitant, to drag our feet. I want you to see the role of the, of the church and the, the Holy Spirit to uh, empower us and, and to motivate us to foreign missions. And ultimately, as we look at this cliffhanger of the book of Acts, I want you to realize that that is there to show us and to demonstrate that we have a part in this. We have our own part in this incredible story of the gospel going to the nations. Let's go ahead and, begin and close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we, we thank you for uh, this powerful book that shows that these are, are real people just like us who had their, their weaknesses and had their failures, but you used them in an incredible way. I pray that you would uh, motivate the, the students here, that they would uh, recognize their role and their responsibility in missions, and that they would strive to fulfill the ministry that you have given them. And Lord, that they would see themselves as uh, a part of this, this incredible story that is un unraveled through history uh, that, we, that we are a part of. So motivate us and challenge us. And may, we, may, we, uh, may we live our lives and base our ministries firmly on your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.